welcome welcome to jude's list welcome to the podcast how are you doing today hannah i'm really good thank you as i mentioned to you off the record it's my birthday soon so just preparation for that just grateful for life and just looking forward to a prosperous month basically off work traveling and exploring and spending time with loved ones and being in hot weather it's coming at a really really good time sounds like you've got a great plan yeah yeah I mean not too planned and that's what I love about it like you know some days are fairly free but then something will always pop up and you know I love the idea of stillness and and mindfulness and just looking after myself really and that can even be a schedule within itself just not having too many things on the to-do list and just doing whatever you want to do sounds good so before we move further could you tell us a bit about who you are and what you do where did you grow up i'm hannah jala i was born and raised in east london and I am the last born of six and the only girl. So I could definitely say growing up, I had to fight to get my voice heard because I was literally in a house surrounded by men. It was literally me, my mum, and six other men, including my dad. You know, very joyful, childhood. And my birthday is in July the 11th. And I was just randomly thinking back to adding to the reason why I celebrate birthdays so much is because it was a really big part of childhood. Even with the little money we had, there was always like a little cake from our local bakery and there'd always be jollof rice chicken and super malt on the table. And that (laughs) to me was like, we are so rich because, you know, honestly, not one birthday could go past and and it wouldn't be celebrated. Was jollof and super malt a tradition? Always. Ah, yes, so it still is. It has to be. <laughs> it's a really big part of the tradition. So yeah, I think that is just a a snippet of a very blessed childhood, just to be surrounded with love and to be embraced with knowing that, you know, coming from a Nigerian Yoruba household, it's not a must to be a doctor or a lawyer or etc. And I guess that is what even inspired me further to embark on my career path growing up. I aspired to be a few things, which was cool. Okay. Can you name them? Yeah. So my mom retired a few years ago, but she was a staff nurse. And I just remembered seeing how she would get ready, put her uniform on. She would have a little watch. Her hair was always so cute and curly. She'd put the lovely powder on and whichever perfume she would wear would always be so gorgeous and I saw that and I just wanted to be that (laughs) and then I realized I'm not really a squeamish person but the idea of constantly looking after people I'm not too sure and just not knowing what it would be if it's you know something to do with blood or I don't know I just I think in my early teens I thought nah not for me my brother David is a Hollywood international actor around my teens was when he sort of inspired me to want to attend drama school which I did for a few years it would be every Monday I think after school I would go to Anashir Theatre in Islington in London where so many incredible black British actors have been to 
so many and it was great I loved it I never got picked for a KFC advert or a McDonald's advert like other people would be and get paid very well for (laughs) and then I also realized I wanted to spend time with my friends after school so once I realized that I thought this isn't actually something I'm passionate about doing it's something I feel like I have to go to what age was this this was from about the age of 13 to 15 and I spoke to my parents and I said, I don't really want to do this anymore. And at the age of 15 was when I was in my final year at secondary school. And my English teacher, Miss Keeney then, Miss Barnett now, said that she absolutely loved how I would express myself in classes when being set exercises and homework and she pushed me up a group not only did that boost my confidence but she also suggested that I look into journalism and I had no idea what it was I literally just went to Wikipedia searched it in I thought oh this sounds cool like someone that literally gets paid to share stories information the news etc and I thought yeah this is definitely something I'd be interested in doing and how crazy is it knowing that I'm two years away from it being 15 years ago where I decided this journalism thing is something I wanted to pursue and it's always been in mind I wouldn't really say it was anything that I was extra proactive about until I went to university yeah it wasn't until university where I thought I really want to produce things for myself I created a blog and was posting things of interest on there and it just grew and grew and grew and I networked and I met amazing people and I just love being a journalist so much because I just share really, really incredible stories and tap into so many audiences and I'm always learning as I'm consuming this new information. Okay. Is this something your parents were supportive of? Yeah, they actually were. I don't ever recall there being a negative remark. I think it was just more so, okay, you say you want to do it, so show us how you're going to get there, you know? I didn't have the clearest idea in the beginning, but I think once I started investing in myself and my brand and, you know, learning more about my skills and strengths is what further encouraged the confidence for me to want to work in the industry and, you know, journalism is literally a different story every day so you're always learning things about yourself um so I think that's the approach that I went with especially with my parents to let them know that this is something I'm I'm learning about also but I'm very very confident that I will soon work for the world's biggest broadcasting corporation and lo and behold that is what came into fruition okay so Let's backtrack. How did you land that job? And then what did it mean for you? I had graduated in 2014 and I submitted my dissertation in May of that year. I called it my dissertation because it was just so exhausting to do. But thankfully, I completed it. And what was it on? It was on Nigerian masculinities and how it challenges gender roles. Something along those lines. It's been seven years and I've just not read it. It's not how I need to be bored to read it, but I feel like that was a different Hannah seven years ago who was a very underdeveloped 
journalist at that time. So maybe one day, or maybe I'll give it to someone to read and, and they can let me know their thoughts. I submitted that in May and in September of 2014 when I was graduating. So I basically saw the time between May and September as a soft deadline to get a job. I was obviously working part-time and, you know, admin jobs during the summer, but I made sure it wasn't full-time. And I say that with privilege of not having to pay like rent and stuff in the household and just still being able to meet my friends and and enjoy a, a summer and not feel too pressurized. But I was still applying for roles. I even went to Ghana of that summer, your neck of the woods, Jude. And that was my first time in Ghana. And it was the most incredible time spent ever. I was there for over a month. And mm. I actually worked for a TV station called TV Free because I really wanted to get that experience in the bag. And these were things that I felt would help me to land myself in that position of getting that job come back to the UK, still applying, applying, applying. And I remember getting two rejections for two other roles. But for this one, I got invited for an interview. It was like a pre-interview before the actual interview, the pre-interview just to get an understanding of my background and expectations for the role. And the actual interview was literally speaking to me about the job. And that actual interview with the actual BBC was one of the best interviews I've had ever. Why is that the case? Because it wasn't even an interview. It was a conversation. It was literally a conversation, you know. And I really just felt comfortable and confident in knowing that this is an industry that I'm just passionate about. Um, like incredibly passionate about have such a strong desire for storytelling and tapping into audiences and that's what I spoke about I spoke about Ghana I spoke about so many of the things that I hope to achieve at the BBC and you know spread my toes in different ponds you know create a presence not just in one area but in so many areas create great working relationships with colleagues and etc and had such a good feeling about it I thought okay maybe I'll hear back in a week or two but I literally heard back five hours after the interview <laughs> saying that they loved me and they want me to start I think two weeks from that date and it was funny because the following week after the interview was my graduation and the week after was when I started at the BBC wow wow so how long have you been working with the BBC now I started the 29th of September 2014. So I've been pretty much working mainly for that organization since then. The past two years have been quite eventful because that's when I decided to freelance and no longer work full time at the BBC, but still worked with them part time collaboratively. Because as a freelancer, obviously you get the, the freedom and choice to kind of work in whichever kind of medium that you like. So yeah. That was great. So it has been an incredible journey of almost seven years. And of course, no organization is perfect. Absolutely not. So I'm just grateful for so many of the things that I've just learned about myself, knowing that I'm working with world-class colleagues and, you know, I've had the opportunity to travel. I've met incredible people. I've interviewed famous people and Honestly, it's just one of the most rewarding things I've done. And I don't think I'll ever be tired of being a storyteller because I just love what I do so much. And it's inspired other incredible platforms and, and ideas that I've also been fortunate to facilitate as someone that is not 
only just passionate about storytelling, but passionate about communities as well. Yeah. What were some of your highest moments working at the BBC? Ah, oh, there's so many. Damn. Highest moments is realising the core of my strength to work on an international news programme, meaning that the hours were literally 24 hours. So I would work night shift, day shifts, late shifts, 10-hour working shifts, seeing the mice in the building. It was a radio programme, thankfully, so you wouldn't see my embarrassing pyjamas and, you know, hair bonnet because I come comfy, especially if I'm working at four in the morning. Yeah. But those were high moments because it reminded me of my strength, which is professionalism, no matter what time it is. And that feedback being recognised by colleagues and editors and always being highlighted for having great professionalism and a great presenting voice on air, informing worldwide audiences of what's happening in the world. That's a really high moment for me because I did those shifts consecutively for a year. And it, it challenges you because... Number one, you're sleeping during the day. So messaging your friends is a bit tricky because they're obviously not up during the night. I mean, unless you've got friends across the pond. And, um, you know, uh, also sleeping during the day. Your body pattern is messed up. You're eating at strange times. But it was still something that I know I love to do. That was it was a highlight for me because it just showed my perseverance and it justified why I do what I do. Okay. And then there's random moments, you know, like having the most loveliest, warmest conversation, hugs, chats and selfies with Samuel L. Jackson in the work building or Tom Jones to Sophie Ellis-Bexer to One Direction to Ed Sheeran to Idris Elba, just really random, sweet conversations to Kendrick Lamar asking me where the toilet is. <laughs> you know, it's it's just really rewarding parts of you being in a certain place and you having access and knowing that you are in these spaces because of your hard work. Like there are so many. And yeah, working abroad was definitely... I'd say the biggest highlight has just been, yeah, working across West Africa, which I've spent a lot of the past two years doing. I've been in eight West African countries now and just loving it so much because not only am I able to continue doing what I love there, it also enthuses my passion of travel and being amongst my own people, man. It's really, really warming. And that is by far the biggest highlight of my life, probably, because... You know, my accent clearly tells that I am British. I'm British Nigerian. But to know that I've, you know, initially before taking this trip, I've never left the UK for more than a month and then decided to go to the continent to do that and produce stories for the BBC as well as other platforms and just to do my own thing has been incredibly rewarding in ways that I'm so grateful for. Wow. You mentioned um, that you've traveled across eight West African countries. Could you name them? And then what lessons have you learned working in these countries? Yeah, absolutely. Ghana, Gambia, Sierra Leone, Senegal, Nigeria, Benin, Cote d'Ivoire and Togo. So they have been incredible because it's been so many challenges, like really positive, exciting challenges and some difficult challenges because, first of all, most of the time I travel alone. I also want to emphasize there's a big difference between alone and lonely. 
I am an extrovert, so I do love my peoples, but I also am incredibly comfortable in my own company. So knowing that in many of these countries, it is a complete norm for women to be seen as inferior, that was a bit of a challenge. And you just always need to think a bit ahead, but in a very fluid kind of way. I was very thankful to cross paths with amazing people who would drop me home after a night out if we built like good rapport, but just ensuring that I'm always as safe as I can be, you know, because I'm 90% of the time staying alone in my accommodation also. But everything else was incredibly just amazing to being so close to the beach, to interviewing people where I know I wouldn't cross paths with in any other part of the world. And just that constant reminder that I'm in the right place at the right time. Just been able to produce really amazing stories and just tapping into audiences across the continent, whether that's a documentary that I did in Nigeria about LGBTQ plus communities, which is very prevalent in Nigeria, to speaking to a rape activist in Sierra Leone, to Gambia's hottest and most popular artist, to, you know, agriculture and the importance of tourism in Togo. The list is honestly endless. We come from such a beautiful continent and I I guess it further justifies why the UK is now not my only home, but one of them. Yeah. Yeah. How did you even get to choose these stories? Is this something that came to you naturally or is this something that came up in discussions? Yeah, excellent question. Honestly, I think the main job of a journalist is not to talk, but to look. Like we're always looking for stories. We're always scrolling through those Instagram feeds and and on Twitter and, and, you know, seeing what the conversation is in many of these places. Like we're always on the lookout. And yeah, I guess it's just great to obviously be connected and to know that, okay, this is a country that I have an eye on, I want to check out. I would literally just search it up and connect with journalists in that country or um, find some travel bloggers as well, because again, I do some traveling. And just to build those conversations, just to get an idea of what's on the ground. It could even be a random article that you come across as well and think, oh, hey, I want to know more about this. So it's almost as though there's like six likely reasons that would encourage me to want to visit a country. I know many people have, you know, like a really big target to want to visit 54. I think I've only been to 14 African countries, but it's not even like a target. I know it's something that will a million percent happen before the end of my lifetime, God willing, where I'm able to visit all because I've learned so much about it. I worked in the African department at the BBC before I went freelance and I was literally consuming all of the politics you know, finance, stories about female empowerment. I was learning so much about these African countries. I feel like the only missing piece was for me to physically go there. Okay, okay. So at this point in your life and in your career, what's one thing that you've wanted to do that you haven't done yet? Ooh, excellent question, Jude. One thing that I haven't done yet is probably like a, an investigative piece and it's quite interesting I would say I haven't done an investigative piece because I don't think it's a fear it's not necessarily my main area of interest but I have been offered it a few times to work on stories about it but I politely decline just for the sake of my safety 
I'll give you an example. I'm sure you you definitely heard of the Sex for Grades documentary by BBC Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was absolutely huge in, you know, because it focused on Nigeria and, and Ghanaian universities, which yeah. clearly the whole continent and even beyond the continent could relate to because it's a growing problem of, you know, uh, professors and working professionals in these institutions luring students for sex. Um, and the presenter slash reporter of that, Kiki Mordi, who's an incredible journalist, faced so much wahala, death threats, trolls, had to go into hiding practically. And I have yeah. several other colleagues who have gone through that as well. So I guess I count myself lucky in knowing that I don't really have a strong desire for that. But I have been asked very recently to work on these investigative pieces where I would literally front it for really big platforms, but I don't have a crazy interest in it. And one of the reasons is just for my safety. Because I think people forget it's not just the journalist that's going out there and do it. That production team is more than likely to be about 10 plus of them conducting the stories, getting the script yeah. together, producing, finding the contributors, finding the people to interview, finding the location. It's literally a village to make a story. And knowing that there's almost that vulnerability of once your face is out there, people think they have the entitlement to to do so. And obviously my social media profiles are public. Um, and with that in mind, that means that when I need to speak my mind, I mean, I do have a private Twitter account that I just tweet because if anyone wants to get into an argument with me, then they can do so. Um, so I, I just like share some thoughts about like world politics and just, you know, and stuff. Uh, but mostly I just talk to my friends about it, you know, because I find that social media can just be so horrid. You tweet that you like oranges and someone will tell you why oranges are disgusting and bananas are better. I just don't have time yeah. for energy. So I don't even post like that on social media because I'm just thankful to have people around me that I can just talk to in person. And if I really want to yeah. tweet about something, I'll just use my other account. Not anything controversial, but just stuff that I just don't want to discuss with people if I did it in my own personal page. Yeah, so that's definitely one thing that I haven't done yet. I'd be open to it, but I guess it really depends on the context because the moment you do something investigative, you're opening up a can of something. It may not be a can of worms, but you just don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. I get the sense of what you're saying. In your line of work, safety is definitely a main concern, right? Even with travel doing interviews is this something that comes up quite often for you yeah and i think especially as a traveler traveling journalist as well you just always have to be very wise with your movements and as a woman especially so again very thankful to have built rapport with people that i hadn't even physically met yet and just to ask every question i literally had documents on my online drive with whatever tips and advice they would say. So things like, okay, where's a safe place to stay? Does this street have streetlights? Which is very common in many West African countries to not have streetlights in several areas. Is this place safe to go to at night? Do I need to be mindful of what I wear on a beach here? Literally just asking, even sometimes strangers online, like on Twitter, 
on Instagram if I see someone's there. And that will kind of give me a bit of confidence in knowing, okay, so these are things to prepare for, these are things to pack. I did take some self-defense lessons before leaving the UK and I did buy a pack of... Ace, ace, ace. You know, I'll be honest, it's a shame that I even have to say that, but by the grace of God, I've not had a reason to use either. What lessons did you take in what? Karate? (laughs) No, it's just general like movements for safety. So if someone tried to attack you... Or if someone is just, yeah, trying to lay you somewhere, how to escape, how to defend yourself and calling for help. So that's, yeah, that's quite good. And yeah, thankfully the pepper spray has not needed to be used. Um, So I think, yeah, there's only so much preparation you can do. I felt like I did literally everything that I needed to do before I left the UK. And that was probably the most fulfilling feeling. Um, I definitely overpacked uh, uh, unnecessary items, but again, that was the first time going away. Okay. So there's only so much you can prepare, but just doing as much research as you can and asking as many questions as you can, you can never go wrong with that. Yeah. I want to come into details more of your work, but before then, I want to ask who's your icon and why? Why are they your icon? Do you know what? Kalechi Okafor, who is just an all-round brilliant activist, influencer, pole dance instructor, queen of female empowerment, once said on Instagram, she said, I don't really have any role models because everyone is truly mad. (laughs) (laughs) So she said that, and I kind of resonate with it. I don't really idolize people because i i know that not everyone's perfect there are people that i admire for certain elements of their work but i cannot actually think of a person i have so much respect for my parents obviously who have built an incredible legacy through their children like you know they are still here strong and amazing and are able to see the fruits of their labor I think they're very inspiring. I think Charlene White, who's an ITV journalist and presenter, is absolutely incredible. And before I even got into journalism, we had Nando's together in London and she gave me all these tips and advice. And really, it wasn't like friendly um, tips and advice, not in a bad way. I mean, obviously it was friendly, but it was, it was, I don't know how to explain it. It was a bit like a girl, you need to get on this. This is what you should be doing. And I left thinking, woof, we got work to do. But that was such a good motivation because who knew a few years later I'd be leaving my shift at the BBC and she'd be coming in to appear on a program there, us both working journalists. Yeah, I think she's incredible. You know, and I think just anyone in general who has been through hell and back uh, but it's still tenacious and still sees a day. Another day is another chance to just keep going and moving forward. They inspire me. And these can be people that I already know, people that I don't even know I exist, or people that I'm even yet to meet. I see you and I appreciate you. So just keep on going because it is not freaking easy in the slightest. I basically want to also get a bit of a sense of how you put your stories together how you ask questions. Say I'm an aspiring journalist who wants to do what you're doing. What piece of advice would you give me and how would you guide me through the process? Great question. Okay, so 
there's one thing saying you want to be a journo, but show me. So if you are aspiring to be a journalist and you're very passionate about getting there, I expect you to, if you don't already have or are planning to, or, you know, are really strong about starting on Zoom, you need to create a portfolio. And a portfolio is simply something like a blog, a podcast, hyperlinks uh, with your name or bylines of things that you've written or work that you've produced or something that you've been involved in. I need to see it. Otherwise, it's just a wish. It's just a dream, honestly. And that is what I did when I started my blog in 2011. I was just about to start university and I started the blog because I wanted to be career focused and asking myself why I wanted to be a journalist. And I was developing ideas. I was, you know, measuring my progress. I eventually made a first mini documentary on my iPad. Then I made another documentary and another documentary. And then I wrote my first online article. And it got to the point where you could Google my name and you could clearly see the industry that I associated myself with. And that was before working for any major organization. Every every platform that I was working with prior to the BBC was niche, was smaller, probably haven't even heard of it, but it didn't matter because it was my name out there and me creating my portfolio of things that I was interested in and stories I'm interested in and showing you that I don't just want to be a journalist. I am actually a journalist in training, literally. So create a portfolio. Otherwise, saying you want to be a journalist is is just, um, it's just a wish. I know that sounds harsh, but it was once said to me. (sighs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, yes, I hear you when you say create a portfolio, but make it more practical. Where do I start? How do I even put a story together? How do I know, like, what's an interesting story? Yeah, I would definitely say just sort of seeing reactions to it sometimes. Social media is a really great place to sort of understand how people are reacting to something or what they think about something. Gosh, so many examples to the swimming cap being banned from the Olympics. Well, sorry, for black Afro hair because they're larger and apparently not appropriate, which is ridiculous um, personally because it just completely excludes black people from swimming. But black women particularly who swim have thick Afro hair and the ones made for the European standards isn't complementing it enough. So that's why we have a lot of black owned brands where we can cater to that. And because of that, or for whatever reason, the Olympics won't allow that. And it's just a, it's a really sure example of diversity and inclusion and the importance of it, because we are clearly seeing that poor representation when it comes to the decision making process. So that was quite a big story and how one could go about that. It could be a blog post. You could you know, explain what the story is. You can get different tweets off people. Again, Twitter's in the public domain and you could paste that in to your story because obviously we want to be impartial as a journalist. But you can be personal about it as a black journalist, for example, sharing your thoughts about it. It could be a podcast conversation. You could actually talk to a swimmer. It could be filmed. You could go to your local leisure centre and ask swimmers there, what do you think about this rule? There are so many different ways that you can put a story together just to really not only show yourself how you plan putting a story together, but how you sort of think analytically as a journalist. Because you need to think analytically. You need to look at the people that are for the story, against the story, and come up with a balanced view to leave the audience with their own sort of thoughts on how they choose to receive that story. Mm, I hear you. 
I want to understand that in the space of your industry that you work in, what are some of the predominant problems that exist for journalists? And then how are they being solved or not being solved? Oh, gosh, there's so many. There's issues of just pay rises, you know, knowing that there are some journalists who are obviously doing very great things in their respective fields. But when it comes to asking for a pay rise due to probably finding out that a colleague is getting paid more than them based on their gender, then there's issues about that. That's been something quite prevalent for, well, for decades. But in my time, a few years ago, where there have been more growing conversations about equal pay. And then there's also problems for promotion, especially if you're from a black and minority ethnic group. You may have been working in a department or on a program for X amount of years and another white colleague can come in and literally surpass you. Diversity and inclusion is a huge, huge issue in British journalism where journalism was practically born, right? So if we look at the BBC, it was founded in 1927 by an old rich white man. And for decades and decades since it launched, those were the only people that we saw working there, old rich white men. And it wasn't until, you know, again, decades later where we saw the first non-white newsreader or the first black this and etc., so diversity and inclusion is problematic because you'll still see in many of these organizations that programs, for example, who have a, a listening or a viewing audience of maybe a, a majority of like young black teenagers. If you actually look in the production team of the people who are making these programs, you'll be in shock because I'm a big believer in this saying that media can't reflect society if society is not reflected in the media. So you'll see that in British journalism, it's very problematic. The diversity and inclusion is absolutely horrific. And that's actually what inspired me to create a platform um, to celebrate and connect black journalists. And it's called We Are Black Journals. Because I've been around so many different areas of the BBC. But one thing that always perplexed me is knowing that there are some departments that I would walk into, again, some departments, and I'm meant to actually see the reflection of society, but I'm not. I'm literally just seeing white people. And that is very, very problematic. It's definitely something yeah. that a lot of people are aware of, but I think they're looking at it in the sense of a elephant in the room kind of situation. So, yeah, there are many issues, and, and those are a few of them. Okay. What's your greatest loss? And how has that propelled you to where you are now? Oh, God. I'm probably saying my grandmother who passed away February 2020 because she was just such a great instrument in my life and really connected me with Nigeria. I first went to Nigeria at three months old and I literally went back and forth throughout my life. And she was always, always a big part of that, like always. And I'm so, so grateful to have done a film with her. So she passed away at the age of 108. And I did wow. a film with her. I know. <laughs> I did a film with her called Seven Questions to My 107-Year-Old Grandma. And that's one thing that I'll just treasure for the rest of my life and show my future wow. kids, God willing, and... Just, you know, her life lessons and, yeah, that was probably the greatest loss because it was so nice just having her 
around. It was just so nice having her with me. Like she was just such a joy, so strong, so mobile, still cooked for herself, was able to wash herself and great eye vision and always remembered me and you know yeah she was the greatest loss because yeah she was just such a precious kind of person to not only have in your life but to say wow like you're my mum's mum like if not for you I wouldn't be here so just getting a bit emotional but yeah that was the greatest loss but but the the biggest blessing wow so where is this video? Is this online? Yeah, it's on my YouTube. So if you just search Hannah Jala, seven questions to my 107-year-old grandma, it will be there. Okay. For our listeners listening right now, um, what's one of the lessons that resonated with you the most? From her? Yeah, from her. From her is honestly just show love to anyone and everyone honestly it's so simple but it's just so powerful because I posted this on my Instagram the other day I'm gonna find it because I think it's so important of course to spread positivity and etc but I understand the meaning behind oh live every day like it's your last but I feel like there are other quotes that are way more powerful and this one says every single person in your life will have a last day with you Since we don't know when that day will come, make all of your interactions beautiful. And her saying love on each other as much as possible, I think that is what, um, it kind of reminds me of that. There's so many different ways that you can interpret it. Life is fleeting. People are going. And not even just people that you're close to. I just think associates and anyone, just always just show love in whichever way that you can. Because it speaks so much of you and you don't know how you can change someone's life just by doing that to them also. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. At this point in your career, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Yeah, I want to leave behind the legacy of um, short-term pain, long-term gain. I know a lot of people are really craving that overnight success. People want to wake up with 50 million pounds in their bank account. But the pain and the discomfort and the sleepless nights, it will pay off. It really, really will. And secondly, it's your attitude and it's your character during the trial that will determine the outcome of the testimony. Honestly, just don't feel like you're not enough or you won't achieve the things that you want to I think everyone kind of has those negative moments but it should never be a reason for you to give up you know at the end of my life God willing when I'm old and gray I don't want an ounce of potential left in me I want to have done everything that I said I wanted to do or try I never want to look back and be like oh I should have or I could have or I was nervous or what would they think you know, I don't want an ounce of regret left in me. So I think in order to live that kind of life, just do things that your heart desires and that's good for your soul. Okay. This has been a great conversation. It has. Yeah. In closing, where can we connect with you online and where can we find some of your work? Yeah, absolutely. So Hannah Ajala. So Hannah Ajala, A-J-A-L-A. 
on Instagram, on Twitter, got a Facebook page. You can check out my website, thisishanajala.com. Yeah, feel free to chuck a random DM in. You know, I don't have my notifications on for any of my social media apps, but I do check them yeah. regularly. So yeah, don't ever hesitate to pop a message there. And yeah, Jude, keep up the amazing work and thank you for having me. Yeah, one last question. So for your work at all, does spirituality mean anything to you? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you can imagine during my travels, I've spent so many time with people from different spiritual worlds, if we call it that. The world is too dynamic and too incredible to have just poofed out of nowhere. Um, I'm still learning and unlearning so many things about faith. I am a Christian and I absolutely just love the peace and joy that I feel through church and through prayer and through worship. And I think it's just so important to find your truth and whichever way edifies your soul. I think in a world like this, we all need a bit of faith. So whatever it means to you, hold on to it really tight and keep learning more about it and unlearning if you have to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what does faith mean to you? Faith means literally walking up a set of stairs and you don't know if the next stair is going to be there or not, but you're just going to go with it anyway because you have that much faith that you'll make it. Wow. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It has. Thank you, Jude.